Huckabee, Matt Saber tells why the ACLU is stealing Christmas. The incomparable Dion Warwick and Habitat for Humanity's Jonathan Rexford. That's Trey Corley in the Music City Connection. And I'm your announcer, Keith Bilbrey. And now, here's Mike Huckabee! Well, welcome, everyone. We're so happy to have you here. Yes, next week is Christmas. And you might have figured out we're having a special Christmas show tonight to help get you in the mood. No bah humbug around here. Mm -mm. Now, we're pretty pumped about Christmas and all it represents. And hopefully your Christmas dinner with the family can avoid political comments that might bring a little tension to a politically divided family. Of course, if everyone around your table agrees with me, then you have a truly intelligent and wonderful family. There you go. And if they are contrarians, just tell them that you ran out of pie. I'm kidding. Well, after several years of people being afraid to say Merry Christmas, people aren't afraid anymore, and no one should be. Many of my Jewish friends send Christmas greetings to me. And I, in turn, wish them a happy Hanukkah, and I really mean it. You know, what the angels said to the shepherds in Bethlehem is still wonderful today. Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. My own pastor said something this past week I never thought about, proving that I really haven't thought of everything just yet. <laughs> he noted that all of the Old Testament prophecies about the birth of the Christ child were fulfilled in Jesus, and that alone was an incredible miracle. He then noted that although Joseph and Mary lived in Nazareth, they had to go to Bethlehem to be counted in the census and pay their taxes, meaning that God used government to bring about their being in Bethlehem as prophesied. Now, watching Washington, it's hard to imagine that God could or would use our government, but I guess he still does. I mean, I pretty much believe that only God could cause government to function in some eternal way. But again, we just see this side of it. And that God could use our government? Now that, my friend, is a miracle. Yes, it is. <laughs> now, let's face it, most of our families have a lot of traditions and customs that bring us a lot of comfort through the familiarity. Maybe it's the menu of the Christmas dinner. It's always the same. The order of having a prayer and maybe a devotional, singing a Christmas carol as a family. Then opening gifts in some sort of predictable order. Now, at our place with six small grandchildren, we try for the prayer, devotional, and reminder of the reason for the occasion. But once packages start getting opened, it's pretty much all the adults can do just to make sure that the actual gifts aren't tossed in with the trash and all the wrapping paper. I admit, I'm kind of hard to buy for, because when I need something, I tend to just go get it. <laughs> that makes my family crazy. <laughs> but truth is, I really don't need or want anything. And my greatest gift is watching others get what they want, or at least what they pretend is what they wanted. Now, God didn't just send us a book or prophets or even miracles to reveal himself. He came in the person of Jesus. He lived he loved and he died for us. And he overcame death in the miracle of the resurrection. And that Christmas miracle is the one that never gets old, no matter how many times we celebrate it. Let me just say from all of us here at the Huckabee Show, a delightful family who manned the cameras, worked behind the scenes in production rooms, and our terrific team who show true Southern hospitality to the treasured guest in our studio audience, we say, may God give you a truly wonderful Christmas. My first guest is a constitutional attorney and the founder of Liberty Council. 
The mission of Liberty Council is to defend religious freedom. Now, Matt Staver, our guest, has argued many cases to advance that important cause, and he's published more than 230 legal opinions, numerous books, as well as arguing cases before the Supreme Court. Joining us now, Matt Staver. Great to have you back, and uh, lots to talk about. I want to get right into it. You're currently defending a grandmother who exposed Planned Parenthood's horrible, uh, just disgusting trade in body parts. Uh, she's being accused because she made undercover videos. That seems to be more concerning to some people than the fact that babies were being ripped apart. Tell us about that case and where it stands. Yeah, thank you, Governor. Her name is Sandra Merritt. She's 66 years old. She is a grandmother, retired. And she has been targeted by not only the California Attorney General, but also Planned Parenthood. So there's two suits that we are defending her on. The criminal suit by the California Attorney General, who's a strong supporter of Planned Parenthood, and the multi-million dollar civil suit brought by Planned Parenthood, both in San Francisco, California. And what did Sandra do? She looked at information for several years. She actually consulted experts. She talked to individuals who were in the know about what was happening with Planned Parenthood and the organ procurement companies. And here's what's happened. And this was what came out as part of the trials that we are part of and continuing. What we know is that STEM Express and other organ procurement companies were working with research institutions such as Stanford University, and they had a website where you could go and order baby body part organs, and you could do different kinds of selections on drop-down screens. You could order a heart, kidney, lung, liver, brain, and other body part items at a certain gestation from the moment of conception. And then that order form would be delivered to a Planned Parenthood abortion facility, and they would then select the babies for that day, some of whom were born alive, and that shocked the world. Lots of ramifications for that. States defunded Planned Parenthood. Investigations occurred. Suits occurred against the organ procurement companies for violating state and federal law. And then she became a defendant in a California criminal court and also a defendant in a California civil court with Planned Parenthood because they want to stop her, silence her, and they want to send a message, do not ever dare to expose what happens behind these Planned Parenthood abortion clinics. You know, Matt, what you've just described, it's, it's like people can go online, order baby parts like they're shopping on Amazon, and then human babies right. are dissected for their parts and sold if I described to anyone what was happening in these abortion facilities, harvesting baby body parts, some of whom are still alive when their organs are being extracted, and if I didn't tell you the age of the person, you would think that I'm talking about the Holocaust during Nazi Germany, and that's exactly what's happening with these tiny, helpless infants, unfortunately. And it needs to stop. There's a bill in Congress, the Born Alive Infant uh, Protection Act, that we're trying to pass to say that if an infant is born alive, even if it was intended to be aborted, you have to give it medical treatment and help that baby just like you would any other life-saving intervention for any other human being. I know you've got a lot of cases going on. There's one in Indiana involving the ACLU and a nativity scene where they want to banish any public display of them. Why is a nativity scene so disruptive to the ACLU in Indiana? Because, you know, it mentions Jesus, uh, but they don't care, they don't have a problem with all the secular symbols of, of the holiday, but they don't want Mary, Joseph, and the baby Jesus. The fact of the matter is the Supreme Court has said a long time ago, and the federal courts have agreed, obviously, that you can have these public displays of the holiday that include the nativity, so long as on government property you have some other symbol of the holiday, such as Santa Claus and the reindeer. These do, the ACLU doesn't care, and they have filed suit. We also have one we're working with, with a school, and they banned a live nativity after receiving a letter from the Freedom From Religion Foundation. But you know what? The Freedom From Religion Foundation had a similar suit, and the lower court agreed with them, but the Federal Court of Appeals reversed and upheld the live nativity. Well, you know what they cited to the school? The lower court decision that was reversed. They've lied, they've done it repeatedly to intimidate these schools and governments just simply to capitulate. We also have another situation where we're working with a senior uh, center. People 55 and older are living in this various uh, facility, these apartments and various houses, 
and they've just been told that they can't have any Christmas decorations, only a holiday wreath. This goes on and on and on, and so we want to educate and, if necessary, to litigate to make sure that the real reason for the season is not censored. You know, I just want to say thanks to Liberty Council and to you and the people that you work with across the country as attorneys for standing up for these things. Otherwise, we're toast. Yeah, we provide our representation at no cost. Sandra would not be able to do this, obviously. She only survives on Social Security on a monthly basis. Outside of that, she has no other income. And this case is the most expensive case in Liberty Council's history. And for people who want to follow this case and pray for Sandra in the legal team, you can go to lc.org forward slash Sandra, lc.org forward slash Sandra. But she is an encouragement to us. You know, we look at her thinking that she's courageous. She doesn't think she's courageous. She's just following the Lord's will. And she's been prepared over time with difficult situations she's faced to be able to stand. And this is what she's been called to do. And it's a great encouragement to all of us who know her. Well, thank you for what you're doing. And, and all of you can follow Matt on social media platforms at Matt Staver. And that's with one T in Matt. And learn more about Liberty Council. Find them online lc.org. That's lc.org. Now, if you'd like more of my thoughts on the news this week and less mainstream journalists spin, drop by Huckabee.tv after the show. Join me for the facts of the matter. More news and analysis on Huckabee.tv. All right, Keith, why don't you tell us what we've got coming up on this very special Christmas edition. Well, coming up, best-selling author Eric Metaxas and Habitat for Humanity's Jonathan Reckford. Later, the fabulous Dion Warwick and John Rich perform right here on Huckabee. Scott Baio reveals the battle of conservatism in Hollywood. And Manny Ohome is revolutionizing lives with a simple pair of shoes. My next guest hosts a great show right here on TBN. Last year, he released a hilariously politically inspired children's book for kids and adults called Donald Drains the Swamp. It was such a hit, there's now a sequel. It's called Donald Builds the Wall. Would you please welcome back to the show, Eric Metaxas. Eric? Uh, Thank you, that, Governor Huckabee. Love to be with you. Hey, great to have you. And the last book was such a success that the publisher said, let's do another one. So now we have Donald Bills the Wall. So what kind of wall is he building out yeah. there? He's building a divisive, bigoted, mean-spirited, <laughs> racist. That's not true. That's yeah. why I wrote the book, actually. And that's why I've written both of these books, is to explain to everyone. I mean, mainly it's meant as an adult humor book that looks like a kid's book, but it's very, very simple. Basically, the, the story is that the first book, which you remember, Donald Drains the Swamp, in that book... We drain the swamp, the Donald drains the swamp, and they make him, they want to make him king. And he says, no, 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 you're a free people now. You don't want a king. You tell your political leaders what to do, and they have to do it. And they say, you mean like a president? And he goes, yes. And if that's what you're looking for, I'm your caveman. So he becomes the president, and they're a free people. And of course, as you know, Governor Huckabee, when you have freedom, all kinds of great things happen. People start innovating, and people start learning. And, and so suddenly... This land of the free, as it is called, is thriving so much that everybody wants to come there because they've been living in, you know, socialist countries. And so they come there, and pretty soon some people sneak in who are bad eggs. There's a vicious gang called MSNBC 13. <laughs> very, very vicious. I and MSNBC that. 13 and others sneak in. And Donald says, listen, we've got to figure out a way uh, to bring in the people who want to celebrate freedom and who want to participate in American-style self-government. He doesn't use the word American. And those who don't know what that is or who aren't ready to uh, assimilate into that and, and, you know, live that out, we've got to, until they're ready, we have to have a wall. So they build a wall. But part of the whole thing is that all of the swamp creatures who were chased out of the swamp in the first book, they followed the money to the end 
of the, this long uh, ditch that is dug to drain the swamp. And they follow the money, and eventually they run out of money. And they think, where did this money come from? It's like, oh, yeah, it comes from the people who, who work for a living. We need to go back there because we need money to spend. So they make uh, kind of a caravan of swamp creatures to go all the way back. They fall in with a, an angry little girl who believes the world is ending uh, almost immediately, and she has a plan to solve this. It's called the Green Raw Deal. Um, it has to do with something that they've invented, fire, and all the smoke is toxic, and people are going to go extinct. And so she's fall she falls in with the caravan and whatever. So the wall is really to keep out the nasty swamp creatures who don't believe uh, in freedom. The whole thing is meant to be funny, but it's the sort of thing you can give to your friend who's politically on the fence and say, what do you make of this? Does this make sense to you? You know, this is, uh, this is meant to be something that everyone can understand and hopefully have a good laugh. It sounds like the kind of book that will trigger a lot of people on the far left and they will be running for safe uh, yes. spaces because this will definitely cause their heads to explode and they will fear uh, the truth has uh, engulfed them. I, you know, I mean, that's my goal. That's yeah, my goal I mean, to trigger as many people as possible. And I'll tell you something: people need to be triggered into thinking. Yeah. And I do think that if you give this book to your friend uh, who really doesn't like this president, it may help them to think about how we see things. Why do we see things the way we do? I, it is meant to build bridges. Now you've got a, a Christmas special on TBN. Tell us a little bit about that in the last uh, 40 seconds we got. It's like a Bob Hope, Dean Martin Christmas variety special with a ton of humor and singing and all kinds of crazy stuff. We shot most of it here uh, in the TBN studios in New York. We shot some of it in Louisiana with the Duck Dynasty folks. Uh, Mike Lindell makes an appearance as Santa Claus. The whole thing is just crazy fun, but this is about doing something so that we can invite our friends and our families and we can all celebrate something together and laugh together. And I am just thrilled to death. It'll be out any day. Keep your eyes peeled to TBN. We look forward to it. Eric, thank you so much. And to our audience, the Donald the Caveman books are a great way to teach your kids about politics. It's also the perfect gift for Trump supporters or maybe liberals who have a sense of humor, if there are any of those left. Donald Builds the Wall, available now along with all of Eric's other books at ericmetaxas.com. It's right there on your screen. Keith, why don't you tell us what Christmassy delights we still have coming up on the show? Next, Habitat for Humanity, CEO Jonathan Reckford and Christmas music with the legendary Dion Warwick and country star John Rich. Later, author and advocate Erica Stone plus Dion Warwick returns to sing one of her all-time greatest hits right here on Huckabee. Welcome back. Okay, I asked my trusty wingmen, Keith Bilbrey and Trey Corley, over to the couch for a moment so we can share a few special gifts between us. Now, I know all of you all at home are going to love this. So, gentlemen, let's get this started. So yeah, let I, me, well, first of all, yes, uh, yes, I've got a very special thing for you. You do? Yes, I do. I want you to watch the monitors very carefully. Uh-oh. We have a special Christmas greeting created just for oh, you. Oh, let's watch. Watch this. This is Donald Trump, the President of the United States of America. And what a huge, huge honor it is for you guys to have me speak to you. You know what? There's not many good late-night TV show hosts these days. Not a lot. Not a lot of good late-night shows, except Huckabee. Huckabee's a great show. Governor Mike Huckabee, a tremendous guy, a God-fearing man, and there's no fake news on his show. None at all. I mean, he talks about all the issues, like Iran. I ran for president. That's all that matters. Russian ties. I don't know. I think it was made in China. We don't get a lot of things from China. They're costing us millions. We need to build a wall around that country. In fact, the only Russian ties I have is to Vladimir Putin, because we did a, a shirtless photo. There it is. And I also want to say there are a lot of liberals who are threatening to leave the country if I get voted back in 2020, 
which is great news because this is helping make America great again. God bless you. Oh, oh, that's great. Well, our thanks to good friend, comedian, and impressionist Ben Price for that clip. By the way, you can check out lots more Trumpian fun at his website, BenPriceComedy.com. Wow. Now, let's, let's do our packages here. Okay, Trey, I think I'll give you yours first. Oh, thank there you. There you go. I'll let there Keith pass go. it over to you. Go ahead and open it, please. Oh, open yeah. it now? Oh, yeah. we yeah, got to open it now. Let's see what you get. Yeah. Be a witness to this. Um, yeah. Whoa. Wow. Lovely gloves. Oh, Conductor gloves. Hold on. They, they turn on. Oh, that's uh, just beautiful. That's, yeah. I want you to play the uh, keyboard with that uh, a yeah. little later. Yeah. That's just yeah, gorgeous. Yeah, it matches my life. All right, Keith. Oh, boy. Here's one for you. I can't wait to see this. I'm Let's sure you see. can't, but Who you got to. This? Oh, I like it already. It's oh, of course you do. UFO cow abduction. Oh, there you can see we've got a picture of it on the screen. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, wow. And you'll keep your headgear on, no <laughs> doubt about it. That's what I've oh, always wanted. Governor, I, I, oh, got, I actually got something oh. for you, if you don't mind. This sure. Is, yeah. Let's see what Trey's uh, got for me. Let's open this up. Let's put the oh, this is great. What is it? Yes, it's a wonderful uh, it's a book. cookbook. Yes. I'll learn to read someday. It's called Dark Side of the Spoon. It's a great The book. Rock Cookbook. Wow. Yeah, there's some, some really good recipes in there. That's pretty good. Deaf Shepherd. <laughs> I, Slayer cake, Slayer smashing cake pumpkin pie, spinal tapioca. I mean, this is great recipes here. Oh, man. I, I think this this is awesome. Thank you, Trey. You knew just you what so I wanted. You are so very welcome. You I've been wanting that for neighbor. years. Okay. Uh, well, not okay. to be outdone. Not to be outdone, no. indeed. Yeah, I, this I has nothing to do with cow abductions, I, think I hope. You're gonna Ooh, speak like a snowflake talking button. Let's yeah, see if that's that, right. Oh, I let's see. You can. Uh, we are gender fluid. Diversity is good, except when it comes to opinions. <laughs> it's so you. Speak like a snowflake. I love this. It's a great little button, and if people mess with me, I'll just hit it, and there we go. It works good. Be done with it. All right. Well, at holiday time, people's thoughts do turn to home. But for too many, a home is only a dream. But since 1976, one organization has helped more than 29 million people achieve strength, stability, and self-reliance by offering them and their families the wonderful gift of a home to call their own. This is my house. My parents helped build it. Now we don't get wet when it rains. I don't get too hot or too cold inside. And I don't have to worry when the winds blow. This is my house. This is my house. This is my house. This is my house. My house. My house. I can play with my sister. I can play with my brother. I can play with my mother, my father. I can study. I can be safe with my family. This is my house. Visit Habitat.org to find out how you can help more families like mine have a safe, decent place to call home. It's an honor to welcome the CEO of Habitat for Humanity and the author of a brand new book. It's called Our Better Angels, Seven Simple Virtues That'll Change Your Life in the World. Please meet Jonathan Reckford. Jonathan, welcome. Thank you, Mike. Delighted to have you here. Great to be here. Thank you. And after the insanity of those Christmas gifts, you probably wondered if you'd come to the right place. <laughs> but indeed, you have. Habitat has made a huge difference in so many people's lives. What's unique about Habitat? Because there are other organizations that help people, but Habitat puts them in homes. I think the not-so-secret beauty of Habitat is the way that we don't just build homes, we build community. And one of the great myths of Habitat is that we give away the houses. And I think the process has been so powerful. Families actually put in hundreds of hours of sweat equity. They take classes in home maintenance and financial management, and then they take out an affordable mortgage with Habitat, and as they make their payments, they're helping the next family have their chance to have a decent home. And volunteers come around and build with the families. And in that process, everyone has something to give and everyone has something to gain. And I think that's, um, when people are out on the build site, they have a sense of community that sometimes is too rare in our world today. You know, I think one of the things that you do and do so beautifully, and maybe it's misunderstood, it, it isn't just, here's a house, here are the keys, I hope you take care of it, but if you don't, there's no penalty. This actually becomes their home. 
but they have skin in the game. They help work on it, and then they do have a responsibility to learn how to take care of it. So it's a long-term commitment and uh, connection to Habitat. It is, and I think what's so powerful is one of the biggest challenges if you don't have a lot of income is how do you build an asset? And for many families, the chance to own a home becomes an intergenerational asset as well as a safe place to live. And I think that, um, you know, for a home, so many of us take it for granted. We grew up in decent housing. If you met anyone that didn't, they know, but we know it's certainly not the only need, but in some ways it really is that foundation. And children that have decent housing stay healthier, do better in school, then they're really prepared to be able to lift themselves up they get a real piece of the American dream. And one of the people that's probably brought most attention to Habitat is former President Jimmy Carter. A lot of people think he is a part of Habitat, that he runs the organization, but he's been a volunteer all these years. The truth is, uh, we were started in 1976, but the world found out about Habitat in 1984 when President and Mrs. Carter got on a bus from Plains, Georgia, drove up to New York City, slept in a church basement, and rehabbed a tenement building on the Lower East Side of Manhattan. And no one had ever seen a, a former president of the United States behave that way. And I think his now 35 years of building with us has had, it's really hard to measure the impact of, of their involvement. And as he said over and over again, Habitat for Humanity is the best way he knows to put his Christian faith into action in a practical and tangible way and that he always says he gets more out of it than anything he's able to give. Let's talk about uh, our better angels, because that's uh, what you've written about here. It kind of helps people understand maybe the, the heart behind Habitat and, and what it is that drives the volunteers. So who are our better angels? You know, I think the heart of this book are, is the recognition that our better angels are everyday heroes in communities all around the world who look out and say, we can do better. And it's really a book full of stories of local people who have transformed not only their own lives, but their communities in the process. And I think um, in a world where it's easy to see a lot of division and, uh, and anger and upset, um, I'm very optimistic when I see these families who are community by community really creating transformation. And my hope is when people read the book, they'll realize, hey, I can go do something and be part of changing my community. You talk about in the book seven very vital uh, virtues. Tell me about some of those that that you think make a difference in people's lives. It was my goal in creating that this really would be a platform to, to tell stories and encourage people, not just for Habitat, but to, to improve their communities, but didn't want to have uh, any challenges. If I can share just one story that's an example sure. of, of what we created. Um, I think my favorite story might be my friend Boris, who is in this book. And Boris um, is a story that, that could happen too often in our community. Grew up in Charlotte, North Carolina, lived in a community called The Hole. And you can imagine what kind of community that was. Mm. 25 murders in, uh, in three years there in his neighborhood, gunshots. Uh, they had no indoor plumbing, uh, scary place to live. And Boris was acting out, failed first grade, was one of those children that could have been written off. And when he was 11, everything changed. His mom qualified to buy a habitat for a house. Mm. They moved into Optimist Park. I love that imagery. Oh, from the whole to Optimist Park. Oh, love that. Boris turned out to be a smart kid. Yeah. Ends up doing well in school, gets a full scholarship to Davidson, gets an MBA, successful banking career. He is now serving on the International Board of Habitat, as far as I know, the first Habitat child uh, to Damn. serve on our board, and making the world better. And I just think, how many more Borises are out there who just need that, that hand up to get a chance to grow into all that God intends for them? I think Habitat is one of the greatest organizations. I say that in part. My wife volunteers with Habitat every year, Indeed. was on the international board for a number of years. Uh, she always comes back energized from the project. So it's not only that it's doing something for the people who end up receiving the homes. It does something for the volunteers, the people that you depend upon to sign up and say, I'll go and pay my own expenses to go and travel and help build a house. Well, we love Janet, and I have literally built around the world with her over the years, and it is, um, I think it's so true, I'm always amazed. People will, after working all day, um, come and thank me. One of my favorite stories in the book is from my first build with President Carter in India, and we're in rural India, and these Indian CEOs come out, and it's inconceivable to them that they would go do manual labor, and they're assuming they're coming just for a photo op, and then <laughs> President Carter is out there, and then, they get hooked. And yeah. those same people now are champions and growing the program in India because they realize um, how powerful it is to be in relationship and to see, uh, see that transformation take place. What a beautiful story, beautiful story. You know, it's Christmas time. You may not know what to get people. Maybe make a contribution to Habitat uh, as a Christmas gift in the name or in honor of someone that you don't know what to get for. Uh, you can order uh, this wonderful book at Habitat for Humanity. 
www.ourbetterangels.org. It's uh, the book, Our Better Angels, Seven Simple Virtues That'll Change Your Life in the World. As we say, all the proceeds go to Habitat. Follow Jonathan Reckford on Twitter, at jreckford. And you know, there's no better Yuletide voice than Keith Bilbrey. He's gonna show you why right now. Oh, I'm excited. Coming up, a Christmas duet with the incomparable Dion Warwick and country music's John Rich. And later, author Erica Stone's advocacy for West African children, right here on Huckabee. And welcome back to our show. My next guest is a Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award recipient after winning six Grammys over the course of her stellar career. Hit songs like Do You Know the Way to San Jose, I'll Never Fall in Love Again, and That's What Friends Are For. Those are just a few of the songs that have defined multiple generations of listeners. Her latest album, The Voices of Christmas, is a collection of her singing duets with some of the biggest stars in music. Would you please welcome the one and only Dionne Warwick. This is a, one of the great honors of my life to have you with us. I have listened to your music for so many years, uh -huh. and you're currently doing residency in Las Vegas. Yes, I am. Tell me about that. So I'm at Caesar's Palace, and in case that you're out there, please come on in and have some fun with me. <laughs> uh, and uh, we'll be there through March. Um, it's been quite wonderful, uh, because I'm, I'm not that thrilled with what Vegas is right now. I knew it when it was really Vegas. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's changed so drastically. But we're having a good old time. You grew up in East Orange, New Jersey. True that. A lot of people have never heard of East Orange, yet it is a cluster of some of the greatest talent that has come in, in American music. Lauren Hill, Queen Latifah, Joe Pesci, um, Frank Sinatra, uh, just some unknowns. Yeah, I, I think it's had such a, an impact. You were the pioneer. So many have come after you, but yeah. what was it in that town? You know, i tell you something. It's not the water, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think being the Garden State, we've grown some incredible flowers and plants and trees and bushes. I think that's it. Hmm. We're the Garden State. I do you still love it, doing what you do? Oh, no doubt. I mean, when I think about how many concerts, how many shows, how many songs, I'm sure you don't even have the number, but you still seem like it's exciting to you. I absolutely love what I'm doing. And I, I gotta say that when I feel that I have done what I have to do and I'm not able to do what I want to do vocally, uh, that's what I'm going to say. I do, and thank you very much. It's been wonderful. Let's hope it never happens. Cause I hope not, you, too. <laughs> you have the ability to entertain. You have such a powerful, unique voice. This latest album that you're doing about Christmas yes. kind of has a special connection because your son, Damon, produced the album. Yes, he did. He happens to be here tonight. Damon yes, Elliott, would you come up and join us <laughs> and visit with us tonight? Dion's son, Damon Elliott. <laughs> Hi, you guys know each other. I don't we have to make the introductions. So, Damon, you produced this. How cool is that to produce for Dion Warwick, who just happens to be your My mother? Mom. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's nerve-wracking because, you know, you try producing for mommy. Yeah. Okay. Is but she no, tough? She, she's is she amazing. Tough to this with? is tough. I'm probably gonna get beat up in the car on the way home. <laughs> but no, you know, it it, it actually was. It's such an honor. I've, I've been very blessed to have worked with a lot of incredible artists, having been raised by the most amazing artists. I've mm -hmm. learned so much. And 
Um, you know, I try to just treat it like a job. When I walk in, I say, okay, I'm producing today, and I give myself the pep talk. The only difference is, like mom always says in her interviews, I call her mommy. So I said, mommy, can we try that again? Or mommy, let's turn this up and down. That's the only difference, you know. And, well, let's keep it real. The fact that she is Dionne Warwick, and yeah. then that sets in, and I'm like, oh. <laughs> so it's, it's, I have these moments. So how hard is it to, to know that the producer in that booth when you're cutting an album is your son? You, you know, it's not hard. I, I have to say this in all honesty. He has really honed his craft. Mm. And he had to do that in the, for me to even consider. <laughs> <laughs> now, that is an honest mother right there. That is I honest. told you she Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I'm so proud of him and so pleased to have him produce for me. Um, as I said, he has truly honed his craft. And as he just said, the only difference in him producing me as opposed to Barry Manilow, Barry Gibb, Burt Backrack, Hal David, is that he calls me mommy instead of Dion. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> well, I would think that probably be the only one who would do that, but you have worked with the best in the business through several decades. Mm -hmm. uh, how does he stack up to Burt Bacharach and... Uh... As good as any producer I've ever had. There you go. Wow. Hey, you had to come to the Huckabee thank Show you, to hear it. Thank, yeah. thank you, God, thank you. you. I came on the Huckabee Show and I heard it. There you go. We've given you both a great <laughs> Christmas present. Well, hey, Keith, as Dion is getting ready to sing, I want you to tell our audience how they can stay connected to her music, because, I mean, we all want to. You can get your copy of Dionne Warwick and the Christmas Voices everywhere music is sold. And don't you dare miss her in concert. Go to officialdionwarwick.com for her live events and all things Dion. Now, here to sing a duet of Jingle Bells is country music star John Rich and the wonderful Dionne Warwick.
Coming up, Erica Stone saves children in Sierra Leone. And Dion Warwick performs an incredible encore on Huckabee. My next guest's dreams of music stardom were put on hold while she fought to adopt a little girl from Sierra Leone, then to save hundreds of children from trafficking and abuse. Now, her album, Antidote, is finally out, but so is her incredible memoir. It's this book right here called Gray, A Story of Loss. Please welcome Erica Stone. Erica, thank you for coming. Great to have you here. When I was reading your book, one of the things that just struck me was the pain that you went through because you were adopting a little girl mm -hmm. in Sierra Leone yes. and they were giving you such a hassle about it, <laughs> just messing you around. It's a good way to describe it. Well, and, yeah. and really holding you and the little girl hostage mm -hmm. to try to negotiate to get money so that you could actually mm -hmm. get her to the United States. Yeah. And in the process of all this, yeah. she died. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, I was reading that and it, it just... It's, it's shocking. How, is this what's happening around the world? It's interesting, because as you're saying it back to me, it almost feels surreal. Uh, but yes, it is. It's happening all over the world. I think trafficking and child exploitation is a problem that plagues every nation, including our own. And um, there are so many children in the crossfire, and so many people do not know what's happening. Yeah. See, I, I think what struck me was you were just trying to give yeah. this girl a life. Yeah. Give her hope, bring her home. I mean, you were doing something wonderful and powerful, and you were stymied not by really anything that was real, but just people who put their systems before a person's life. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the things, and you were so candid in this book, the anger, the frustration that you felt. Yeah. Um, you know, I think a lot of times in the world of adoption, many of us step into it feeling like um, it's God's calling on our life, right? We're meant yeah. to rescue children. We're meant to make them our own because the world's children are God's children. And because they're God's children, they're our children, Yeah. right? And I think when you step into the trenches and you do this kind of work and then the evil in the world begins to prevail, and that battle is something you lose, and you lose a child, and you, you begin asking why, you know? Why, why is this happening? There are answers for children. Um, safe homes, safe places for them to grow up and to be cared for and loved and protected. But there's, you know, something comes into play that breaks that opportunity down. You have adopted now how many children? I have six children in total, five are adopted and one biological. Yeah. yeah. But they're all your children. Yes. Every one of them are they your are. children. And I, you know what I, I love about when families adopt? Um, sometimes I've heard people say, you know, your child is the one God gave you and you're grateful for that. But the adopted ones are the ones you looked all over the world and picked That's out who so you wanted true. and brought them home. And they're very special because you chose them in a they way are. that is so unique and powerful. Absolutely. I think that. Um, Children are meant to be placed in families. They are not meant to be separated from the family unit. Yeah. Um, and so I believe that God is constantly ordaining and whispering in the ears of people all over the world, you know, there's a child meant for you. Yeah. You know, and, and it's, it's beautiful. Like, as I watch my children grow up, because most of them have been here for quite some time now, and I watch them, you know, I have a son, <laughs> I could start crying, Nash, who just started school this week at Trevecca mm. on a scholarship. And I watch him, and I watch all these kids growing up, and I think, how I couldn't have planned this more perfectly. Like, God truly knit together the family and has been painting just this beautiful masterpiece. And I just want that for more families. It's a powerful story. Now, let's talk about Erica Stone, whose yeah. career is now back on track after this time yeah. of hiatus. You just got Crazy. an album out. Yeah. And uh, so uh, all these years, you probably thought, well, I'll never be able to get back to that dream of the music career. Now it's happening. I know. It's... I didn't think I would. Yeah. That's the crazy thing. And it was interesting how the album was written 
at the same time I was finishing the book. And it all just kind of happened at one time, and it was such a chaotic space, but beautiful mm -hmm. space. And when the, when the album finally came together, I, I couldn't really believe it. I didn't think the time would ever come. I kind of thought it would never happen. I'm glad it did, because you <laughs> have a wonderful gift of, of music as Thank well. You. As this gift of love you've given to the children Thank that you. you've adopted. Erica, what a great Thank pleasure so to much. have you here. <laughs> Thank you. Be sure to find Erica Stone's album. It's called Antidote. You know that all major music download and streaming sites, and then her book that we've been talking about called Gray, A Story of Loss, it's available on Amazon. Or you can visit her website, ericastone.net. Now be sure to visit Huckabee.tv after the show because we have an exclusive performance of her song, Glass House. It's performed by Erica and the Music City Connection. Keith Bilbrey has your antidote for boredom, and he's going to tell you how to get it right now. Ooh, look out, coming up. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. And Dion Warren is here to perform it on Huckabee. And welcome back to the show. This Christmas week, I hope you'll take some time to reflect on the true meaning of Christmas. God giving us his love through the gift of Christ. And our world could use a lot more love today. Now, the song that Dionne Warwick is about to sing is a classic, but the message has never been so timely. Before I introduce her, a little connection here. Several years ago, when I was governor, I had a rock band called Capital Offense. <laughs> it's because all of the members of the band worked at the state capitol, and we offended everybody who heard us. <laughs> but we actually opened for Dion Warwick at the Pine Bluff Convention Center. I know it's probably one of Dion's most memorable evenings ever. <laughs> the truth is, we were so afraid that if she heard us do sound check, she wouldn't do the concert. I think, fortunately, they kept her backstage. She didn't hear what a mess we were. But boy, what a big deal it was to open for Dionne Warwick. And now, I'm so honored that she's here. Here now to sing one of the most amazing songs in her long repertoire. What the world needs now is love. Would you welcome Dionne Warwick? Is love, sweet love It's the only thing that there's just too little love What the world needs now Is love, sweet love It's the only thing that there is just too little Lord, we don't need another mountain. There are mountains and hillsides enough to climb. And there are oceans and rivers enough, enough to cross, enough to, enough to last till the end of time. Of time. The only thing that there is just too little love. Oh, but the world, the world needs now. Needs now. Love is love. Sweet love. Sweet love. No, not just for some, but for Enough to grow in there. Sunbeams, moonbeams, enough to shine. This is my Lord. 
The world 